The Son of God goes forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. His blood-red banner streams afar, who follows in his train, who best can drink his cup. Welcome to Death and Glory Podcast. Today on Death and Glory, we have a very special guest, Aaron Schaff. Aaron lives in south jordan utah with his lovely wife Stacia and their three children aaron is a member of the mission church there in south jordan and he is also founder of puritan.pub which we have promoted on this show as always my name is jordan parks and i am joined here by my friend and brother in christ peter asmussen peter say hello to everyone hello everyone aaron how you doing today brother doing great good to see your faces you as well man or hear your voices at least close only, enough right yeah only if we have the right uh, output here on our speakers <laughs> we have faces for radio yeah amen to that yeah for sure so aaron you've spent some you've spent quite some time studying mormon theology um and even more importantly studying and spending times time with mormons themselves can you kind of tell us what kind of got you interested how the lord laid uh mormons on your heart to evangelize them Sure. It's not a glory story for me. Uh, uh, when I was in high school, <clears throat> I had a Mormon neighbor move in three doors down, two doors down, two doors down. And she became my girlfriend later on. And I had been brought up in Protestant uh, churches. I had learned about Christian theology. I had done a wana. I had been faithfully served by uh, my pastors, my youth pastor, my parents had made sure I had good exposure to the gospel and the Bible. But in high school, I failed the test of obedience, of faith, of allegiance to Christ. And I went down a path of idolatry and lust. And in high school, I found myself such a failure with respect to lust and idolatry and arrogance that when my world came crashing down in high school, the Holy Spirit moved within me to read the New Testament. And when I read the New Testament, I came across Romans, and Romans taught that God justifies the ungodly when they stop working for it and start trusting him for it, not by works, but by faith alone. And that was incredible news for me. It was like, it was the gateway. It taught me to pray a certain way. It taught me to pray as a bankrupt beggar. And it freed me up to to relate to God in a new way. So I prayed that God would forgive me right there and then for who I was, not just things I had done, but for who I was. My sin was evidently not just a problem of a good person occasionally doing bad things. My sin was uh, part and parcel of my, my nature. So I prayed that God would forgive me and my heart exploded. I was born again and I came to a four, you know, thinking, man, I wish truth wasn't so divisive, but God convinced my heart that truth matters more than any other relationship matters more than anything. So I decided to to devote my entire life to truth. When I got to college, uh, I was a part of campus crusade for Christ. And a lot of my peers were doing summer mission trips. My uh, then girlfriend, Stacy, who's now my wife, believer, 
she was going to New Zealand, which was pretty exciting. And I thought, I would love to do a summer mission trip. Well, I was, I was too late to sign up for one. And I, I learned that there was an internship available in Ogden, Utah, done by Russ East of Utah Partnerships for Christ. And I went out for seven weeks to do, to do an evangelistic internship. And I absolutely fell in love with sharing the gospel with people in Salt Lake City. So why do that? I felt like when I became a believer, I had one foot in the door in Mormonism. I, I had not grown up in, as a Mormon. Uh, I'll never know it like you know, a, a person who is a Mormon you know, can know their culture. But I had done quite a bit of studying, and I had been at the time enthralled with the person of Joseph Smith and the idea of becoming a god someday. That might uh, sound absolutely nuts. We can talk about that in a second. But its worldview was very humanized. The gods were brought down to the level of humans, and the humans were slightly lifted up, sort of toward godhood more. But we can talk more about that. But I was very enthralled by Joseph Smith and what he taught. So when I got saved, I was saved out of that mindset. It was sort of a a wandering, rebellious, Protestant, quasi-Mormon mindset. And so... I had a heart for people who were stuck in this worldview. And I thought, well, I, I kind of, I kind of know their people. I don't, I, don't, I mean, I, I didn't have any access to Muslims or um, Hindus. I, I mean, I just thought about the Mormon people as almost like a people group that needed salvation. So I would at one point stay in the back room of a vacuum shop in Ogden, Utah with this, uh, I think there was like a, a shower without a working curtain. And I would just <laughs> take a shower in the morning and I would get on a bus, go down to Salt Lake City, hit the streets all by myself, totally alone. It was an, it was a, uh, an internship that was still developing in its structure, but I just wanted to hit the streets. So I hit the streets of Salt Lake City and I started trying to have these evangelistic conversations. And I was reading all this prep material. For example, by James White, I was reading things by like Ron Rhodes, Bill McKeever. And to be honest, a lot of that stuff just kind of flew out the window as soon as I hit the street. And the stuff that stuck with me was the scripture I'd been meditating on that morning. I just remember reading through Psalm 51, where David, having committed murder and adultery, asks for forgiveness, for blood guilt to be removed. And I remember asking a, a Mormon man on the street if David had had his sins forgiven. Hmm. And the Mormon replied that, no, he had not been for, finally and fully forgiven. He, that he was permanently disqualified from going to the highest level of heaven because of his great sins. So I, I, I started to just love sharing the gospel with people like this. If God could forgive a filthy Sinner like David, and you have to understand, for me, I read Romans, and Romans 4 says that God justifies the ungodly, and the, the example that Paul immediately gives is David from Psalm 52, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. So uh, David's forgiveness is very serious to me. If he can be forgiven, then I can be forgiven. So I ran across a man on the street named Rob. And I experienced him doing conversational evangelism. And it was so simple, but 
just seeing it in action really opened up some new doors for me. I, I was kind of a fumbling, bumbling conversational evangelist, probably too brash, belligerent. But seeing Rob have these really simple conversations on the street made me think, I can do that. So I moved back. Well, I, I flew back to Ohio after, at the end, and I told Stacy, who's now my wife, if we get married, I'd, I'd love to move to Utah and do evangelism on the street even to the LDS people for the rest of my life. So in 2005, I moved out there. And uh, shortly after, ended up going to Temple Square on Thursday nights in Salt Lake City. Uh, most Thursday nights, minus winter. Nobody wants to talk outside in the winter. My my love for evangelism grew. My love for the gospel grew, doctrine. And I loved the people more and more. And God matured me through that. And that evolved, I would say, matured to much more value church planning in the life of the local church. And God grew me as a believer. I'll stop there. Well, that's great. Thank you for that um, that history. Uh, so you, you mentioned a couple things that kind of, um, a couple rabbit trails we could go down, but maybe uh, before we go there, you know, you see a lot of people online who are kind of, oh, maybe a little bit more conservative, maybe, you know, kind of would call themselves secular, but they don't, um, you know, they they want to reject like kind of the current culture that, you know, wokeness, stuff like that. But then they, they don't really, they, all their truth has been torn away. They don't really have like any foundation or anything. So then they see something like Mormonism and they're like, oh, well, you know, that looks pretty trad, you know, what's, What's wrong with Mormonism? Why why are you people, you know, these churches are going woke. Why why aren't you, you know, why are you people online? Why aren't you going to down towards something like Mormonism? It's more traditional than uh or at least currently apparently, you know, looks more traditional than maybe your average uh evangelical church. Sure. So uh, if you could just give us kind of a a broad overview like where do Mormons actually go wrong for for those of us who aren't as don't know as much about it as you? I know I've heard that it's a mile wide, so you don't have to touch on everything, but, um, you know, just a few points where, where does Mormonism go off the rails? It teaches that men can become gods and that God himself is of the human species. Not that God as God then assumed humanity, which is the Christian story. Right. God became man, but rather that God was once himself a mirror man who was developmentally given the chance to achieve godhood. So godhood in Mormonism is not an essential nature. It's a status that's obtained. It's a, it's a level of glory. I'll use the language that I, I, I try to use. That's stark. Mormonism is a form of domain specific polytheism in Mormonism. There is a family tree of deities and this planet is among others that is in the particular domain of a specific deity for one branch of the family tree of the gods. Heavenly Father, God, that's domain specific or particular to this planet, uh, other planets, has himself a God, according to Joseph Smith. So there's a heavenly grandfather. Jesus uh, is born of heavenly mother, uh, in, you know, there's some dispute in Mormonism or ambiguity about whether or not there's a plurality of heavenly mothers. So God has at least one wife. 
and the people on this planet are spirit sons and daughters of this heavenly couple or polygamous unit. So God's very different in Mormonism. He's it's it's like the humanizing of of uh, God to the nth degree. So in that worldview, uh, your purpose is through God's kind, gracious assistance. So they really try to you know, get the grace rhetoric strong and, 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 and try to prove that they, you know, they believe in grace. Okay. Well, they believe that God is graciously helping you hmm. prove yourself worthy and meritorious of achieving the highest level of heaven, wherein you could become a God someday. And you can repeat this one eternal round. Now, what I've just told you is, is a very stark evangelical presentation of Mormonism. You're going to have to fight hard to get that kind of clarity from Mormon missionaries. This is why people historically have in the evangelical and Protestant communities called Mormonism a cult because it has a history of not being overt and straightforward and clear about what it teaches. There's a bit of a, a background to this. In the late 1800s, Mormonism developed a habit of using language to obscure its practice of polygamy. So in the early 1900s, there was a bit of transference to how they talked about doctrine. So they, they, they learned, uh, you might call it soft secrecy. They learned to be to, to use the language of plausible deniability or to use the language that su- is suggestive of what they believe, but not completely overt. So if you ask a Mormon, do you believe in one God? They say, yeah, we believe in the Godhead, one God, one God. Um, and it, when you start digging underneath those labels, those, that layer of rhetoric, you then learn, oh, well, one God for us, or one God might mean three gods. That's a team unit, sort of a cohesive unit of that they call God. But you have to fight hard. And, but I mean, I'll, I'll lastly, I'll say this him the baton back over. Mormonism uses very Christian language, nomenclature. So if you don't really understand what they're, they're saying, it can sound very appealing and Christian, even evangelical, because they take largely the same dictionary that we have 80, 90% of the same dictionary we have. And they replace the means with something that's radically different for that's that's really particular to the worldview. I don't have a whole lot of experience with evangelizing Mormons. Where I grew up, there is there's a pretty strong Mormon presence, Kearney, Missouri. Um, over the last couple of years, though, I have had uh, two interactions with some teams that have gone out around this time of year in the springtime, and I know that their tactic, both times, two different sets of of guys has been, oh, hey, you know, are you a believer? I say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And, you know, I'll get my Bible out and we'll sit down to my kitchen table. And the tactic is always, well, look how similar we are. Look, we believe very similar things. But when we start getting down into scripture, like you said, defining terms is really important. And once we start defining terms biblically and not according to the Book of Mormon and their other documents, we really start going in separate paths really quickly. And I think, would you agree that that is one of the reasons why Mormons are so difficult to evangelize is because they're, they're trying to 
kind of like you mentioned earlier with, you know, your, um, your friend, you said you're meeting up with, uh, playing Christian music at his business, you know, are, are they, it seems like they want to become mainstream. They're trying to fit in with everybody else. Is that, is that, is that one reason why Mormons are hard to reach? Yes. They have performed what you might call a nasty public divorce from Christianity. Their founding documents, at least the part of their standard works today, the scriptures say that all of our creeds were said to have been an abomination. All their professors are, hmm. all, all of our professors corrupt, that our churches are false, they're wrong, that we are downstream from what's called the great apostasy, that we have an invalid authority. We don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling, that we don't have eternal life, that we don't have a valid baptism even. So Mormonism has said that they are not a refor- reformational movement. They're a restorationist movement. And the, the premise of that is that Christianity was on the earth destroyed. The kingdom of God was lost. The church had been removed from the earth. So it was no longer here. And so there needed to be a, a, a restoration, a bringing back of the kingdom of God in the church. Even though Mormonism has uh, committed this ugly public divorce from Christianity, they, they kind of want to come back and, and, and act like nothing's happened. Uh, they want to show back up at the table. Um, and they want to access the bank account <laughs> and they, they want to show up to all of our events. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just using a metaphor here, but sure. They want to I be a tracks. Singing. I think it tracks pretty well though. Yeah. They want, they want to come back and kind of sit at the dinner table and act like the divorce never happened. Uh, Joseph Smith said our, our our Trinity was a monster, uh, and so he was he was very quite opposed to our religion. But modern Latter Day Saints, I think, are in denial about how nasty that public divorce was, and they really want to think of themselves. I really don't think this is a malicious deception. I think it's kind of a, a half heartedness or an incoherence. They they really do want, I think, to be associated with Christians. So that they often yearn for the approbation and approval of Christians. They want us to affirm their faith as at least being another denomination of Christianity. So they, they don't want there to be a split or a divide that's harsh. Um, they don't want us to think of them as non-Christians or false Christians. See, so yeah, it's very hard. It's very hard because they're infected by modern pluralism, which is just common to America and you know, Westerners. Um, they, you know, they, they kind of struggle to own their own uh, restorationist narrative of being the only true church on earth uh, and of the great apostasy and all the charges of heresy of, of our doctrines. You, you'll hear a rhetoric like, well, you know, everyone's got truth. And, uh, but it's very hard to communicate because they're using the same language they really want to be, they want to cozy up to Christianity. Uh, they, they, um, I'll give you one example and just hand it back off. Dallas Jenkins, I don't know what you call him, the executive producer of the Chosen series. He was able to get the set that the Mormon church uses for their own scripture videos. So that's what helped attract him to, I think, working with Angel Studios and the LDS Church. He works very closely with 
Mormons, and I think some of those Mormons are what I call evangelifish Mormons, they try to minimize these radical doctrines of becoming gods or God was once a man who became a God. So they, they really try to present themselves as very uh, commonly Christian and almost like quasi-evangelical. So Dallas Jenkins is convinced that a bunch of these Mormons he's working with are Christians. And he is pretty upset at the charges of false Christianity leveled against Mormons at large. And he thinks that uh, he should essentially, he should be allowed to extend the hand of fellowship with these Mormons and not be given a hard time. But you look at the churches around here, we're trying to reach these people who don't know the God of the Bible. It's not very helpful. And scripture says, if you receive a false teacher, if you greet him favorably and receive him into your house and cozy up to him, uh, you're, you're taking part in his wicked works. Mm-hmm. So it's very serious. It, it, you might call it boundary maintenance. Christianity greatly values the substance of our confession, not just the superficial wording, but the substantial meaning of what we say. When we say God is one or Jesus is Lord, that's not infinitely flexible in its meaning. We have, uh, there's a threshold. We, there's a, it has to have a common meaning or the shared confession is make hash out of it. Christianity guards that confession with boundary maintenance. And so we're called in scripture, 1 Corinthians 5, if someone bears the name of brother and yet is an idolater to purge him from the midst, that is to not allow him membership in that local church and not allow him to associate, um, or, you know, as a fellow brother. So Christians are called to, uh, a, you know, a gracious mannered, well courted with, you know, showing good courtesy, um, boundary maintenance where we're pleading with these people. You have a false Jesus. And we want you to know the grace of God and the, and the nature of God as he is. So you can worship with us, this great God someday. It's good. If I'm being too monological. Let me know. I'm sorry. No, no, that's great, man. Thank you. Yeah. I mean that, uh, you know, you've set out some good boundaries here for us as we uh, discuss this. What is sort of the, the general Mormon belief about the afterlife? You mentioned becoming gods a few times, you know, working uh, in this life to then achieve different levels of heaven. What does that look like from their their point of view? There's three kingdoms of glory, they call them. The celestial kingdom, the terrestrial kingdom, and the celestial, sorry, the telestial kingdom. They get two of those terms from 1 Corinthians 15. What Joseph Smith did is he took the term celestial and the term terrestrial and he just mashed the two together and <laughs> came up with a third term, telestial. Um, he Love. totally missed, missed the point of the passage. In the celestial kingdom, those that are worthy, those that keep the commandments, that keep the ordinances, that keep their covenants, can uh, be proven worthy to enter this kingdom, having done the right temple ceremonies, temple ordinances. And in that uh, kingdom, one can become a god. At least some of them can. In the terrestrial kingdom, you get good people who are in some sense covered by the blood of Jesus, forgiven, and in the telestial kingdom, you've get you've got wicked people. So there's kind of a confused narrative here. One is that these are all three kingdoms of glory and heaven, and they're beautiful and wonderful. And there's a part of the Mormon folklore, sort of what you'll hear on the street here, 
uh, and this harkens back to a statement of Joseph Smith, um, although I don't think it's what he meant. The, the, the idea is that if you had just a glimpse of how awesome the bottom kingdom of heaven was, you'd want to commit suicide just to get there. So there's a, there's a kind of universalism to Mormonism where everyone's going to end up in heaven. Uh, virtually nobody goes to outer darkness. Almost everybody ends up in one of these three kingdoms of heaven. So that's, that, that assuages their conscience because they don't, they're not willing to put up with the emotional difficulty of the reality of hell. The dichotomous nature of heaven and hell in the Bible, sheep, goats, heaven, hell, eternal life, or eternal damnation. The Bible, even even the Book of Mormon, published in 1830, prior to Mormonism's radical development of later theology, teaches a dichotomous view. So you'll get that thread or that theme of kind of a universalism, a comfort that there's no true hell that many people go to. But the, the other part of that narrative, though, is that you better be worthy. You better be uh, faithful to your covenants. You better enter into, um, you, be, you better have a temple recommend, that, you know, which is essentially a stamp of approval by local leadership through an interview that you are considered worthy enough to enter the, their temples and to perform their ordinances. In that narrative, if you fail to keep up obedience and covenant keeping, and ordinances, Ten Commandments, so etc. You, uh, you will be damned to a lower kingdom of heaven. So you actually hear this language that to uh, be prevented from progressing to godhood is a form of damnation. Hmm. You'll, you'll hear you'll you'll be uh, away from the presence of Christ in the celestial kingdom. You'll be mostly away from the presence of Christ in the terrestrial kingdom although Christ will occasionally visit. So in this view, Christ really dwells in the top celestial kingdom. So you'll be damned, separated in some sense, um, that it'll be a form of eternal punishment, some of the leaders have said. Some of the leaders, and I've written a whole article about this on mrm.org. I work with Mormonism Research Ministry, mrm.org. And there's an article there on heaven and hell where John Witso, Mormon leader, talks about how being in a lower kingdom is a form of torture. Even um, it's worse than physical torture because you live with the anguish and regret of being resigned to a lower kingdom forever. So you get, you'll just get conflicting narratives on this. Some people will say, well, that's, you know, if you're in a bottom kingdom, that's where you'll be most comfortable. Kind of like being in a psych ward, maybe you're just, you're, just, <laughs> you're, just, uh, you're, you're, you're loving it, you know, but you're just, you, you kind of, you don't feel too bad about it. You just, it's a conflicted narrative. So, I mean, there is no, like the idea of being quote unquote damned to a lower level of heaven. It's not, you are damned apart from justification in Christ. It's you're damned for not doing X, Y, Z works, not getting a recommendation, basically not living a good life here. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the criteria for that higher kingdom is worthiness. It's covenant keeping. Justification does not ensure you're enjoying the presence of Christ forever. Protestants, we think very differently about this. We're just a very different way of thinking. Um, you know, it, it, I'm either, I, I'm either, I like to say this, I'm either a hundred percent forgiven or a hundred percent damned. Yeah. I'm either in Christ or not. I either uh, am a hundred percent adopted by the father in Christ, or I'm a hundred percent alienated from God. That's Pauline. That's Petrine. That's Johanna. That's Christian. 
So let's take us three, for example, people who would be maybe perceived as actively working against the Mormon church would say that, okay, Mormons are apart from Christ. Does that get us into what we would think of as quote unquote eternal damnation? So a hundred years ago, you would have heard more often Mormons saying that if you are an ex member, you've left the LDS church or you're uh, fervently opposing the LDS church, perhaps, you know, they call them anti-Mormons. You would hear more often them saying that you could be subject to outer darkness Today, it's so squishy. You mentioned earlier how Mormonism has this social capital and this reputation for being very traditional and conservative and convictional. Oh, my goodness. In 2023, that is no longer the case uh, by default, anyway. You'll, you'll find very convictional, conservative, stalwart uh, Mormons who you know, really believe what their leaders have taught. But... Uh, the evangelism we've done here in Utah for the past, I mean, we moved here in 2005, but. That's 18 you know, years. Any, just, what's that? 18 years. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we used to talk to died in the wool Mormons. There's a term for them. TBMs, true blue Mormons. Today, they're very rare. The people we talk to are more progressive. Uh, they're just more like religious nuns or they're kind of floating or, you know, they're kind of half-hearted about it. So I'm not trying to mock them for that. I just, um, when I do diagnostic questions in evangelism, I start asking questions like, well, what religion would you be if you weren't Mormon? Just to kind of get underneath the, the thought process. And well, but I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you'll get people who say the Mormon church is true. You know, Joseph Smith is a prophet. Book of Mormon is of God. But it doesn't really matter what church you belong to as long as you love (laughs) love your neighbor. And so it's like, it's the only true church. But, you know, I love other churches too. And they're just, they're just as equally valid. Uh, This is, you know, they've kind of fallen out of love with their central truth claims. But yeah, today, you know, like, I mean, honestly, I'm one of the most vocal evangelical opponents of Mormonism. So, I think there's a few people that say I'm just a heretic, a scumbag, and I'm yeah, I'm gonna really gonna get it when I die. But 98% of the Mormon acquaintances or friends or neighbors I have, even when they find out how fierce I am in bringing the evangelical message to Mormonism and, and I'm opposing their distinctives to promote evangelicalism, even then they're 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 hopeful that I'm gonna end up in the terrestrial kingdom at least, and maybe even better someday. I really missed out on the opportunity to put scumbag in your bio intro <laughs> oh my um, god the slander machine oh yeah for sure we don't we mormons don't need are to sweet. Mormons yeah, they are, are they are but the, but the apologists the mormon apologists they're like advocates and defenders of mormon and mormonism they're like a they're they're a sketchy nasty group so in anecdotally my both my parents uh taught public school for 30 plus years and they would always say their best students, bar none, were the Mormon kids. They were polite. They worked hard. They listened to their teachers. They were, they were awesome. So, um, and kind of going along with that, like what makes them good people? I guess. If, does that make sense? What is it about the Mormon view of death um, and glory that makes them good people? They've got a solid culture on courtesy and kindness, uh, hard work. Um, I've often said I. I don't want to romanticize Mormons or Mormonism. Neither do I want to demonize 
Mormons are Mormonism. So they're, you know, in a civil sense, they're good people. Uh, excellent coworkers. I've got a, a neighbor, one of the best neighbors I could ask for. I, you know, I could call him up in an emergency, be over here in 30 seconds. Uh, so they make excellent coworkers and neighbors. I lo- I mean, they're an easy people to love. They are not a hard people to love. The common Mormon people are beautiful people. But I personally don't think I would think much differently of a lot of other uh, people groups. Um, I think there's some tribes of, of, you know, the Middle East, of India, Africa, where there's just a different experience of sweetness. And so this really doesn't have anything to do with Mormonism. It has to do with being made in the image of God. And even downstream of the fall and total depravity, we get these reminders for what we were made for and what whose image we bear. So even if we're depraved in the inner parts of our heart, there's a natural affection that God gives lost people. I think Mormonism uh, shines really well um, in its culture, not its teaching. But I do have to say this. I do think people need to be disabused of sort of the romanticized reputation that Mormons have. When you live here long enough, you just realize, oh, they're human. And there's sort of like really nice people and there's really not nice people. (laughs) I've had like an extremely rude Mormon neighbor who was just, you know, a really difficult guy. I I mean, I have another one, you know, where I live and it's just different. So you, you, you start realizing, oh, like they present well, um, some, a lot of them are just genuinely good people. And then some of them are just like, they're just like us. I do think there's a cultural issue where, um, being well, uh, presenting well has a really high value in Mormonism, extremely high value, uh, in terms of appearance. Um, if you go down to Utah Valley, uh, south of me where BYU is, just look at the billboards, the advertising. There's a ton of importance put on one's appearance. Um, it, so, and it is, I do think there's an aspect of their, of, of in your community, there's a, there's a dimension of worthiness. Are you worthy of your temple recommend? So it's a works-based religion. So that puts a spin on how motivated you are to present. Whereas evangelicals and Protestants are kind of like, you know, our, our, our dirty laundry goes public quicker. <laughs> And so, I mean, we're just, we're not, we don't have a lot, you know, you know, you won't look at any of our denominations, stick long enough in a local church, Christian family. And I think, you know, like Luther would just kind of wear his sin on his sleeve, talk about how bad he was. And that's just not a part of Mormon culture. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, yeah, I hope that helps kind of round, give a well-rounded answer. Good people, good aspects to the culture that I don't think ex-Mormon uh, people should get rid of a bit of works-based dimension to it. Um, a little bit of it's just sort of the Utah culture of how, I mean, they had to really prove themselves as a people historically and, and be of high work ethic. They didn't, you know, at some point they didn't have everything handed to them on a silver platter. They had to come out here in the desert and work hard and prove themselves as a people. I want to go back to um, kind of more afterlife stuff. Obviously, they, they're not getting their views of the afterlife uh, from Scripture, um, primarily. 
where where are they getting that from? Is that Book of Mormon? I know there's other important documents besides Book of Mormon. Can you kind of run us through that? Yeah, I can tell you how I hear this on the street. Sure. In John 14, Jesus says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. It's like in the first paragraph. Now, in context, Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away and I'm going to come back. And don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about it, guys. Um, I wouldn't tell you I was going to prepare a place for you, Jesus says in the first chapter, unless I was going back to take you back to where I am so that where I am, you may be also. So you look at the passage, Jesus is in, he's assuring his little flock, his disciples, his people, that he's going to come back and take them back to where he and the Father are. So this can't be talking about kingdoms the Father and the Son are not. <laughs> so they, right. they take that phrase, though. In the King James, many mansions, modern translations, it says many abodes or many rooms in the Father's house. Makes more sense that way. But the many mansions language, they really run with that without much consideration of the context. They see in 1 Corinthians 15, the language of a celestial and, a, and, a, and of the terrestrial, and, they, and then they sort of just key off of that. So it's kind of, it's kind of just like a superficial key off. You don't, this is really helpful. You don't really find this stuff in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon was published in 1830. And the radical Mormon theology was late 1830s and early 1840s. So you're going to get this confused. You're going to be confused when you're reading the Book of Mormon because it represents more of an evangelical-ish, evangelifish, Protestant-ish uh, folk Protestantism. You'll get, mo- you'll get strict monotheism in the Book of Mormon. Strict notion that God has always been God. You'll get at times in Mormonism a kind of evangelical uh, Methodist camp revival meeting fervor Morgan experience kind of talk. I mean, it's just, it bleeds Protestant language. There's more to that there, but so, I mean, it, you don't find that in their standard work so much. You get, you get more of it in the, in what's called the DNC, the doctrine and covenants and the, and the Pearl of great price, but modern Mormon theology isn't super textual. It's not super exegetical. Hmm. It has more to do with, the development of what their leaders have taught and what's sort of stabilized over time. Although that's sort of in in motion still. So is that more um, probably along the lines of some of the things that we would kind of call out the Catholic church for with like the tradition of the Pope spoke about this, like basically their leaders have said X, Y, Z in, you know, 1928. And that's what we hold to. Yeah. I went to a conference. I went to a conference once for Mormon history and I, at lunch, a Mormon was joking with me, sort of a liberal Mormon, but he said, you know, in Catholicism, everybody thinks, that, you know, the joke is that everybody thinks, everybody says the Pope is infallible, but nobody believes it. And every, in Mormonism, nobody thinks, nobody says the, the Mormon prophet is infallible, but it, a lot of people believe it. <laughs> so another, uh, I don't know if the phrasing is right, but a Latin term you might use in contradistinction to solo scriptura is prima ecclesia where the church has this primary authority over all other things um, that in the end, the, the, the church is what defines doctrine over and against what, you know, uh, this idea that you're looking to scripture alone for the final and authoritative rule of faith and doctrine. I mean, it's different, but there's a loose analogy to be made. So for the tens and tens of people listening to this, 
who may have Mormon neighbors or Mormon friends or, you know, have some Mormon missionaries come knock at their door. What are some good maybe resources that, you know, we can look at to to help evangelize our friends and neighbors who are Mormons that you would recommend? My favorite go-to resource these days is GodLovesMormons.com. We call it GLM, GodLovesMormons.com. You'll get shorts, video snippets. Some are longer, like the podcast videos, but you'll get pretty short videos that are somewhat geared toward Mormons who have a positive curiosity toward Christianity that are perhaps already exiting Mormonism. So it's really, GLM's not actually designed for hardcore convictional Mormons. It's kind of a friendly voice to people who might already be on their way out and they want to consider Christianity. What the videos on that site do is give a really clear presentation of what Mormonism teaches and gives a good contradistinctive view from the Bible, representing Christian theology. If you wanted to deep dive more, consider MRM.org, Mormonism Research Ministry. And if you wanted a book uh, that was from a Mormon perspective, this is sort of what they use to teach their own people, their own theology. It's it's called uh, Gospel Principles. And that book, you can get it for a couple bucks used. And it's an internal book that gives in summary fashion descriptions of what they believe in terms of worldview and big picture stuff. It's, it's, it's a loose systematic work. So you're, you're not going to get as much clarity in the book of Mormon. And if you talk to Mormon missionaries, um, a lot of times you're going to have a harder time getting as much clarity. This is an in, internal document, an internal book. Um, it, it's open. It's on the internet. It's a free resource. Uh, so just if you wanted to do some deep dive curiosity stuff, read a few chapters of that. And then one more resource, irr.org, the Institute for Religious Research with Rob Bowman. Rob Bowman did a chapter by chapter review of gospel principles. And to me, he represents a good intermediate to advanced resource. Okay. Um, we'll yeah. link to those in the uh, show notes. Yeah. A lot of people today, a lot of people tell me, oh, I've been watching Jeff Durbin evangelism videos. Um, so I just have to mention that. People have been yeah. tremendously blessed by some They're of these great. honest evangelism encounters recorded. So do you do you find that any of these things we've discussed, like with the uh, afterlife, sort of the you know works-based salvation, um, do you find those are good angles to press on when you're, when you're evangelizing Mormons or n- not so much? No, they're excellent topics. I like to ask Mormons, what are the biggest differences between Mormonism and traditional Christianity? They're a little sensitive about that term Mormonism, so I might say the Latter-day Saint faith. So I'll ask what the biggest differences are. And the, the big ones that I go to are the nature of God. One of the most common verses I go to is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I'm here. Here's the key part. Before me, no God was formed, neither shall there be any after me. Or go to the last few verses of Romans 11. Who has ever known the mind of the Lord? Or who has ever been his counselor? goes on to say, who has ever given God a gift that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So what makes God so worthy of worship 
is he learned nothing. And in Mormonism, if you really press out the implications of things and get people to think clearly about it anyway, everything that God knows he learned. In Mormonism, everything that God has, he received. He was bequeathed. He was assisted. He, I mean, we were, were being graciously assisted so that we can become gods. You extrapolate that backward. God was graciously assisted to become who he is today. So what God has is received. And Paul says in one of the Corinthian letters, Paul says, why do you boast as though what you have you did not receive? So if you received something, you can't brag about it. And what makes God such a boasting God, God boasts in himself. He brags about himself and Christians clap their hands and we say, yes. But the reason why that's not wrong for God to do is he never received anything that he didn't already have. He learned nothing, received nothing he didn't already have. All things are from him, through him, to him. He has no peer. He has no superior. He's not downstream from other deities. He will give his glory to another. He's very unique. should be worshipped for his uniqueness. Revelation 4 verse 8 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And for me, that's it's very precious because God's not worshipped merely for who he is today, but he's worshipped for who he always was, the eternal yesterday, in, in even transcending time. So the Christian God was never a sinner. I hope people uh, can realize this. In Mormon theology, there's an open question about whether Heavenly Father was once a sinful mortal before he became a deity exalted as a deity. So I have a, I have a video called God never sinned. You can look at it at godneversinned.com. God never sinned. And it's a, it's a video interview project where I asked Mormons on the street. Do you believe that heavenly father was once perhaps a sinful mortal before he was exalted as a God? And about one third of them will say no, because they think that some deities who achieve exaltation do so in the manner of Christ. And they think Christ is an exception to things. He never sinned. He's able to achieve Godhood without sinning. And so there's this open question in Mormonism is, you know, which of the gods are like Christ? Is Heavenly Father one of those? Um, and so about one third of the Mormons I speak to say, maybe Heavenly Father never was a sinner, a sinful mortal prior to exaltation. When we become gods, you know, we, you know, anyway, that goes down a path. But about two-thirds of them will say that it's at least possible that there's an open question at least of whether Heavenly Father was a sinful mortal before he became a god. Some Mormons will revel in that even and say it's probable. Um, I would I asked the follow-up question in the video interviews. I asked often, how does that make you feel? And Mormons would say that it made them feel really good that Heavenly Father was perhaps a sinner. Because if Heavenly Father was a sinner and he became a god, then he's more relatable and I can become a God. It gives them encouragement. So that that's the number one issue for me is the nature of God. Round that out real quickly. Sorry, I talk a lot. Go for it, brother. Grace. Grace is so precious to Christians. It's the gateway. It may, way long before you or I probably really started studying the Trinity or the depths of the nature of God. Grace is what God uses to hook us, to win our hearts, He's so kind. His kindness leads us to repentance. So grace is what God used to win me, to conquer my heart. So to talk about how God justifies the ungodly, he gives eternal life immediately. 
to ungodly people. He adopts them. He unites himself to them. He gives them remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives them a backstage pass into heaven. He uh, gives them assurance of being with Heavenly Father forever. You want to call that celestial exaltation? Fine, but it doesn't mean I'm going to be worshipped as a God. Right. It means I get to be with Jesus and Amen. the Father and love and enjoy them forever as a free gift. So that's something that Christians can, in a sense, boast in, not in ourselves, but boast in the gift. God's been so good to me. He's mm. forgiven me. And, and Mormons will 98% of the time say, oh, I believe the same thing. <laughs> and you just have to dig deeper to show how it's different. Run us through real quick, uh, kind of a Mormon theology briefly. Uh, Satan, demons, angels, uh, that kind of stuff. I, If I remember correctly from a video I watched when I was probably in high school, Jesus and Lucifer are brothers, correct? In Mormon theology? Right. So in Christianity, historically, having a strong angelology reinforces that God is greater than any other created being. Right. God is not just a big angel. And so there's this whole class of beings that's even between us and God. And what Mormonism did in the 1830s is it collapsed the layer of angels and humans. So angels really were just humans at a, at a later stage or earlier stage, depends um, how, you're, how you're talking or thinking. But really, it's just humans. Even at some point, that gets collapsed further, that God and humans are of the same species at different stages of development. So in this view of the gods and of, uh, that are basically uh, humans are gods and embryo. And so in this view, um, heavenly beings are really just humans. And in this scheme, in this, in this worldview, Satan is another one of the begotten spirit children of heavenly father. So in that sense, you and I are spirit brothers with Satan. And in that sense, Jesus is a spirit brother of Satan. Whoa. So, um, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he had, there was more that happened in pre-mortality, they would say, to differentiate the various children. Uh, but these are considered spirit offspring. Yeah, you were probably watching The Godmakers by Ed Decker, which had a cartoon in it. Yes, that, it was animated. Yeah, that, it's a really famous 80s cartoon. It gets a bad rep, but it, it, it really helped people get some of the basics of Mormonism. It really helped put at the forefront Mormon ideas that Mormons otherwise try to be very circumspect about with potential converts. Yeah. Some of this stuff is just wild, you know, I mean, you can, you know, some of these things and it's like, wow, it really makes you wonder. Speaking of kind of along those lines, uh, you know, revelation 21, you get there in verse eight, but the cowards, faithless, detestable murderers, sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Is there any belief at all in eternal lake of fire, second death, sort of kind of the what we would call hell? Even for like your your Hitlers, your Stalins, your, you know, child rapists, all that kind of stuff. They do have a category called outer darkness, but that's really reserved for Judas and not very many others. So even the murderers and the rapists. When you talk to Mormon people and, you, and they 
chase out the implications of their teaching, even they end up largely going to the the uh, celestial heavenly kingdom. Even Hitler, interesting, has the potential of going to heaven, celestial kingdom. I don't have any principled objection to a mass murderer going to heaven if he repented and has his sins forgiven. Amen. That's that's the gospel. So yeah. If Jeffrey Dahmer's in heaven, I don't know. Then if he is, I'll I'll be uh, enjoying brotherhood with him, mm-hmm. not on account of how good he was, but on account of how good God is. Amen. Amen. So is there uh is there anything else we've missed sort of as we've been kind of to trying to cover what Mormons believe about um death, what they believe about the afterlife? Anything you could think of? It's helpful to hear that Mormonism is changing rapidly and what's happened to say evangelical youth it's the secularization, the uh, more moralistic is it therapeutic deism. Uh, that rampant secularizing effect has affected Mormonism also to great degrees. So if you're not, I mean, I, I care much more about the Mormon people than I do about the Mormon worldview. And the Mormon people are just very diverse at this point. So you, it's good to just know that they're in transition. A lot of the times you just can ask good questions about where they're at. They're very liberal today in Salt Lake City. About, I would say over half of my Mormon friends in Salt Lake City endorse same-sex marriage. Wow. So this this narrative of being super conservative, Glenn Beckish, um, that whew, in Salt Lake and in, in increasingly in, in south of Salt Lake, Provo, Utah County. Um, so they're just don't assume that Mormons believe Mormon doctrine. Don't project historic Mormon teachings on Mormons. Every individual is different. They, this is very awkward. It almost sounds like an insult to hear, but it's very true. Mormons have more and more a lower view of their own prophets and apostles. Hmm. Um, the more they learn about their own history, the more disillusioned they're becoming with their own leaders. Leaders. So all that to say, if you have Mormon neighbors or friends, um, it'll probably be good to chase out, learn about deep dive, learn to communicate well with your Mormon neighbors, man, you can get so far, but just knowing your Bible, Hmm. knowing the gospel and, and enjoying that, um, you're going to get, um, I mean, you're, you're going to be a faithful witness. If, uh, you're talking to them about the gospel, I mean, you know, exercise boundary maintenance, invite them to church and, uh, don't, don't get hung up on the details of Mormon theology. Let the weirdos like me maybe chase that out and I'll publish material and you can look at it if you want. But the average Christian, I think, really is served well just by being a faithful Christian witness and, and you know, having some vocabulary stuff on the table where then, okay, they're using different language. They have different terminology. You know, don't be hoodwinked by use of the same nomenclature. That's, that's good to know. Is there any, uh, any special ways you want people to connect with you online? I know you have like a YouTube channel. You've uh, built many, many websites. You kind of are always working on a different project every time we catch up with you. So uh, let us know where people can, can follow you. MRM.org. I'm sorry if this sounds like a machine gun, but um, theopedia.com, puritan.pub. My YouTube channel is called Jesus, Not Joseph. Work on godneversinned.com. All right, I have that site available. You're always welcome to Facebook message me and I'd love to point you in a good direction. Godlovesmormons.com uh, is a good resource. Um, I, I help with like 0.1% of what they do. 
Um, it's mostly Bradley working on it. And, and on my on my YouTube channel, that's where you'll find what I think most people find helpful. If you wanted to, you know, work on your lawn and listen to a lecture on you know on evangelism to Mormons, you can do that. And I don't really nurse my YouTube channel with marketing material or ads or good thumbnails. I usually just show up to an event and I record it and I put it up on there and I forget about it. So um, I, I try to be accessible. So if you want to send me a message, I'd be glad to help you out or connect you with someone who can Facebook, Twitter. Well, thank you again, Aaron, for your time. And uh, thank you listener for listening to death and glory. Uh, If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to follow and review um, on your favorite platform. And if you have any friends, share it with them. To Canaan's land, I'm on my way where the soul of man never dies. My darkest night will turn to day. and joy and love with a soul